just a reminder, here at That's So Chronic, we are dedicated to sharing personal stories. We are not advocating any type of treatment, therapy, procedure or intervention. Everyone is unique, so please seek professional medical advice before making any decisions for yourself or for others. Welcome to That's So Chronic, the podcast where I, Jess Bryan, interview some incredible people from around the world that are thriving and sometimes only just surviving with chronic illnesses, life-changing injuries and potentially disastrous diagnoses. Today I'm chatting with Lauren Kayford and we are coming to you from a bright yellow van called Maxwell. In 2020, Lauren was diagnosed with stage 2 Hodgkin's lymphoma, which is what we are going to talk about today. In today's episode, Lauren talks about the road to her diagnosis, the process of going through IVF, how her mind and body handled chemotherapy, what happens to friendships when suddenly you're the friend with cancer, and she explains how she found out about that so chronic. There might have been a panic attack involved. I loved getting to meet Lauren and I know you will love this episode too. Even with the sounds of cars passing us by. Welcome to that so chronic. I love when we first connected, you described yourself as a little bit of a hippie that lives in a van, (laughs) that loves beer and loves tattoos. Yep, that sums me up. (laughs) And speaking of the van, we are sitting in a bright yellow Ford Transit called Maxwell recording this at the moment, which I love. Yes, that's pretty cool. Have you done that before? No, I haven't. <laughs> this is the first episode in the in recorded in a van. <laughs> <laughs> yes, how good. And actually, I guess to start, let's just, you know, we're just going to kick straight in. Mm. Your introduction to That So Chronic is not probably what a lot of other people have experienced. No, it's quite a funny story. So um, I live um, used to live with this girl who actually designed your thumbnail for that so chronic. Yes, shout out to Molly Spink who has had another shout out in Emily Spink's yeah, Molly episode Spink. as well. <laughs> yeah, an amazing artist and she was, um, I just moved into the flat. It was um, my first time leaving home since being sick and everything. And so, yeah, I was still kind of like going through some stuff and just getting better uh, mentally and physically. And we were just hanging out in the lounge one night and um, Molly was doing something on her iPad and she was like, yeah, like my friend Jess is doing a podcast called That's So Chronic and this is um, what I've done for her artwork and showed me. And uh, there was a, a drip and a needle and suddenly I found myself having a PTSD attack. Yeah. <laughs> Which was, yeah, it was like, it wasn't a crazy serious one but it was um yeah my introduction well not introduction but a realization that yeah all these little things are still really affecting me just the yeah. sight of a drawing of a drip yeah was setting me off and so I had to remove myself from the lounge and kind of talk myself out of it and go through some I guess mind games and stuff to get mm-hmm. myself better but it was funny because it was also I had talked to Molly about that a bit later on and she was like yeah no I I noticed the moment I turned it around, you seemed a bit off and something happened and then you left and I wasn't quite sure what was going on. So it was, um, 
It was quite funny. Yeah. yeah. Well, and then here we are. And here we are. And that's how I found about that so chronic. <laughs> Imagine telling yourself if someone could have told you in that moment that one day you would be on that I so chronic. I know. That's so funny. Yeah. No. Wouldn't have, wouldn't have thought that. And what we're going to chat about today is that you were diagnosed with Hodgkin's lymphoma, mm-hmm. which is, of course, a type of cancer. Mm. So I guess to start, I'm wondering what you were feeling at the beginning what what symptoms you had to even know that something was going on and that you needed to go to a doctor looking back at it family myself doctors we all kind of think that I was sick for about a year before we actually found out what it was and it kind of started beginning of 2019 where you know like I was just very run down everything was really really hard I would get sick a lot, just, you know, colds and all that. And usually I'd recover from a cold, like, within a week. Yeah. And it would take way, 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 way longer. Um, I think I had a cold for a few months at one point. Wow. Yeah, like, I was just super run down. But in saying that, I was full-time at uni. I was working 20, 30 hours a week. Yeah. I was, it was my final year of uni, so I was partying. Like, I yeah. wasn't being healthy to my body. Yeah. So for a long time, we put it down to that. Yeah, in the moment, it's easy to find all of these excuses as to why this could be happening. 100%. And so, like, I did start going to the doctor about it. And, you know, I'm also very iron deficient. Mm-hmm. So we put it to that. I have family history of glandular fever. Yeah. Kind of put it down to that. But it wasn't until it was about October, uh, I got this awful ear infection that was not getting better. And I was in so much pain. And it was after being sick multiple times, not getting better, where I was seeing my doctor more regularly. And this was a university doctors that I went Mm -hmm. to who are bloody fantastic, I might just say. But when I went back for a, oh, one morning I woke up, awful pain in my ears. Yeah. Like, feeling super run down, and suddenly there was this lump on my neck. Okay. Yeah. And so I was like, oh, okay, this is not normal. Mm-hmm. Um, I had had, like, swollen lymph nodes before on my neck, but um, this time it was, like, big. Like, you could visibly see it. Yeah. I already had a doctor's appointment to check up on the ear infection, went in, she started talking about that. I was like, just a side note, um, this has happened, and straight away it was like there was a switch in her brain yeah. or something. And she just, it was like she knew, um, okay, this is, this makes sense. Yeah. She felt my neck and did all that, and straight away booked me in for a FNA, a fine needle aspiration, mm-hmm. where, yeah, they just suck out some liquid from your lymph nodes and test it. And so I had that booked in two days later. Yeah. Got that done. Uh, got a... And where can you get that mm, done? Was it at the hospital? It wasn't at the hospital. Um, there, There's a specific specific clinics that do that, uh, same places where you get like blood tests and stuff, okay, but yeah. like specific ones. Um, but they referred me to yep. it and got that all organised. Um, I think just through your GP if you need to get one, they can sort it all out for you. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, got that. And then I had a got a call from my doctor. This was when I was at at uni studying for an exam the next day, <gasps> my final exam oh my God. ever, yeah. <laughs> uh, got a call and they're like, can you come into my office now? <gasps> and I was like, well, you can never get into your GP right now. No. <laughs> <laughs> and so went straight in and they said, we're not 100% sure, we need to do a biopsy. 
mm-hmm. but we believe that this could be what's going on and they started talking about Hodgkin's lymphoma. They also were talking about non-Hodgkin's lymphoma yep. because they're both kind of on the similar spectrum of what it is, even though they're completely different. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they said, we believe it's Hodgkin's started telling me about it because at that point I had no I'd never heard of it before yeah so no one in your family had gone through this or no um I'd had uh I have two aunties I believe that have had breast cancer but they're not blood relatives so in terms of blood like there's no cancer in the family at all Mm -hmm. and yeah so and I just never heard of that specific kind of cancer before so I was like, obviously go straight on to Google and yeah. <laughs> see what's going on. But thankfully for my brain, Google has some pretty good statistics on there. Um, yeah. Some, And especially if you're young, mm, I was reading. Yeah, yeah. So pretty much like of the, own, the kind of hope that I got from after that was like, okay, of all the cancers I could get, this is one of the better ones. So yeah. I was like, cool, this is... I can do this. Um, yeah. I was really positive at the start. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, so, and then, yeah, had to get a biopsy and go through that and one thing led to another. Yeah, found out I had cancer. And so was all of this news being delivered through the GP or do you then get, when you got the biopsy, were mm. you there, did you then have a specialist that you were talking to? Yeah, so for the biopsy, I didn't, uh, there was no one really, like I was still kind of connected with the GP, um, but that happened at the hospital and there was it was there was a bit of a muck around with the hospital in that part because it was all booked in for the biopsy and we were like mum and I we were preparing ourselves like I told my mum my siblings and my dad and no one else knew okay we didn't want to tell people in case it wasn't true yeah didn't want to stress people out and so we're like cool we'll get this biopsy done and then we can tell people went in and the, the doctors and nurses just kind of felt my neck they're like yep you do need a biopsy Yep. Yeah. Like, cool. See you in two weeks. And <gasps> like, what? Two weeks. Yeah. So, in our minds, we thought I was going in for a biopsy, but it was just to check if I actually needed a biopsy. Oh. Um. So that was a little bit of a mess around. Mm-hmm. Um. Emotionally. Yeah, for the family, I can imagine. Like holding on to this thing for so long, not being able to tell my best friends. Like I could, but I didn't want to stress people out. I'm not talking to my bosses at work. Like all this. Yeah. But yeah, no, we just decided, we're like, oh, two weeks, let's just tell people, like. Okay, yeah. But then got the biopsy, and then after the biopsy, I found out that I had cancer because I got a letter in the mail saying I had an on- <laughs> an appointment with the oncologist. That's how you found out. <laughs> right? No phone call. Like, I'm in shock. <laughs> it was like, okay, like, surely someone calls me first saying to expect this letter. Or I don't know. Because if you've got a letter to see an oncologist, obviously you've, you've got, got cancer. cancer. So that was a bit messy. <gasps> I could, <laughs> it was really messy. Um, so we're like, cool, right, no, definitely have cancer. Let's go see this oncologist. And then how long did you have to wait to see the oncologist? It was pretty immediate. Okay. Um, yeah, it was within the week of the letter, yeah. which was nice. And went and saw him. And so at this time I was under 25. I was 24, mm-hmm. um, 23 when I first found out about it all. And if you're 25 or under, you're part of AYA or AYA, which is AYA, Adolescents and Young Adults. Yes. Who have cancer or whatever. And so I also had like a, a nurse who was kind of like, 
kind of like your big sister or something in the situation. So yeah, I had this lovely, lovely lady, Louise. And so met her first and then met my oncologist. And they were amazing throughout the whole process. And mum's a bit of a a Googler. Mm -hmm. And so she straight away Googled my oncologist's name (laughs) and like looked him. I was like, oh, he's the best in New Zealand. Like all that. So she was really pumped about that, which was cool. So like I had a really messy start with the whole diagnosis. But then once I was in with my oncologist Mm -hmm. and had my team, everything was like really good after that and quite smooth flowing. Yeah. Yeah. When I was doing a bit of a Google, which mm. I like to do before yeah. these interviews, <laughs> and I do follow a few people on Instagram that mm. have gone through Hodgkin's lymphoma as well, and I've been learning that some of the symptoms can be the swollen lymph nodes, mm. which you definitely had, and then um, regular and frequent fevers mm. and night sweats, waking up completely drenched. Also, there can be weight loss, persistent fatigue and lack of energy and then also generalized itching. And I guess looking back in hindsight, does does that ring bells? Like, did you have you now noticed and gone, oh, my God, yeah, I did have these symptoms? Yeah, I had a lot of them, but not all of them. Mm -hmm. And one of my worst ones was the itchiness. And it's so interesting because they don't when I say they like doctors are suspicious, they don't even know what causes the itchiness, really. Yeah. Again, around the time, this was around spring. So I was like, it's just hay fever, like really bad. But it was like, I thought there were ants under my skin. I would wake Mm -hmm. up in the middle of the night and I would just like, like cause my legs to bleed from scratching so hard. Wow. It was awful. I would go and have cold showers, but nothing would stop it. And it was, it was my legs and my stomach. It was my whole body, but mainly my legs and my stomach. I got a couple of night sweats, but nothing really bad. So we weren't too worried about that. And I didn't really lose weight. So we were quite happy about that. In fact, I actually started gaining weight because I went through IVF and all that um, Mm -hmm. because I thought chemo would affect my chances of having children. And so I was kind of, I was gaining weight from that and wasn't having major, major sweats. So they were like, okay, you know, this is good. And that kind of, between that and having CT scans kind of figured out which stage I was in and that like. I'd be okay kind of thing. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So before we get on to, yeah, the scans and Mm. the treatment, would you be able to describe to us what your definition is of Hodgkin's lymphoma? Mm. It would be, to me, it's a cancer of the immune system. So it affects your your lymph nodes, which is your immune system, and essentially likes to shut it off. Mm -hmm. And so your immune system's there to fight off bad stuff that happens in your body, infections, and it's unable to do so when this cancer has taken over. And once it starts getting into the more serious stages, it spreads out from your lymph nodes, gets into your blood, gets into your organs... And that's, yeah, it can really just start shutting your um, body off because your immune system's fighting something else, mm-hmm. not fighting your general, your colds or just like bacteria yeah. in life. Yeah. So then what happens? You see the oncologist, you have your nurse now. What happens next? So the next stage was talking about uh, my future and whether I want children and all that and whether um, I'd want to go through IVF. Okay. Um, because the chemo will they're like what well, it will affect uh, my eggs and my chances of having children. I didn't 
I don't really want children, but I don't know what my yeah. what I might feel in the future. And so um, after talking to my nurse, um, they then connected me to another hospital, at, and I was at St. George's through them that, yeah, I had IVF, so that was a whole month process. Okay. It was quite, it was interesting because there was a little bit of a debate between my oncologist and my nurse because my oncologist wanted me to get into chemo straight away. Okay. But my nurse was like, yeah, this is your now, but we like I 100% believe you're going to be fine and this here is your future about having children we need to not just think about now so we're like I I decided from that like they just kind of gave me both of their pieces of mind and then Mm -hmm. allowed me to make the decision which was nice yeah that's Um, a pretty intense decision to be making when you're 23 years old yeah yeah so it was it was crazy so I was I was I was 24 by now um yeah. yeah But yeah, it was it was really hard. Do I want to a hundred percent like well, do I want to start chemo earlier and have better chances of beating it? Mm. Or do I want to just hope that I do beat it regardless and get some kids? But yeah, so we went through IVF. I've got um ten frozen children somewhere <gasps> in the city. <laughs> Amazing. Just yeah. on ice. Just on ice. <laughs> it's ready to go. Um, but it's really cool because if I don't want children, if I decide because I have them for ten years, I can donate them. That is fantastic. Which is really cool as well. So um, hopefully they will get get some kind of a life. <laughs> so if people don't know what the IVF process is, mm. would you be able to tell us? Yeah, absolutely. So um, essentially you get uh, uh, you have to start it at the end of once you've finished your last period. You get pumped up on a bunch of hormones and you're injecting yourself every night with different kinds of hormones. So the first week it's just one and then after that there's two needles you inject yourself with. I hate needles, mm-hmm. and so my, like, I had I had a couple of needles, you know, I had the fine needle, I sprayed, I had the biopsy, I had all that, but now I'm injecting myself for yeah, a month. that's a lot. That was weird. So I actually, my flatmates started injecting me first. Like, I remember my first injection, this guy that I flattered with, he was like, yeah, I'll do it. <laughs> <laughs> Jabs me in the stomach, and um, so that's fun. Um, but Bit yeah. of flat bonding. Yeah, it was. And so we, yeah, it's what it's doing is it's growing your, your eggs. So your ovaries are just, yeah, just getting full of eggs that are growing in their cells. And then by the end of the month, they get this meat along needle I swear (laughs) and just get right up in there and they pierce into your ovary and suck out the cells which have your eggs in them wow um and yeah and so I think I I got about 15 sucked out and 10 survived which is really cool but it was really it was it was a really interesting process for me because it turns out I'm really like uh, I have a lot of eggs and I was like, I guess, quite hormonal already without all the hormones. And so I started over ovulating. Oh. Yeah. And so I had, there was a point where I went in where, because you go in and have regular checks and they, they measure the size of the cells and they need to get to a certain size, which is like 21 millimeters, I believe, which is quite large yeah. for in your yeah. ovaries and if you have lots of eggs. But mine weren't growing for a while, and they figured out it was because I was had so many eggs in my ovaries, and I was really sore, I was really swollen. I had so yeah. many eggs that they couldn't grow; they were like fighting each yeah. other, so just wow. fighting each other to the death. Um, <laughs> so they actually had to change my hormones so that other ones could grow. Yeah, and then some died off, and yeah, it was a very it was 
it wasn't like it was an amazing experience like it wasn't exactly like you know I don't really want to go through it again Mm -hmm. but I had an amazing doctor it was really interesting I had um good people around me at that time helping me like deal with the needles and so yeah so you mentioned this was happening at St George's yes did you pay for this privately I didn't have to pay for it at all that is incredible it was really amazing so everything that I'm talking about now I didn't pay a cent towards anything oh except for hospital parking but you know yeah (laughs) (laughs) which is a nightmare in Christchurch but yeah it was like everything was covered which is really really amazing I'm like yeah my taxes are going to something yeah (laughs) yeah no so I'm very very lucky and privileged with that because I'm very aware that a lot of people do have to pay a lot of money for treatment and Mm -hmm. to survive and go through things and and I didn't so I'm very lucky I'm wondering whether is the IVF offered to you might not know this but is Mm. offered to everybody or is it because you were in the the AYA program that maybe yeah I actually don't know that's very interesting I um because there's a few people that I know who have had cancer and some have had that offered and some haven't so Mm -hmm. I I don't know yeah with what the process is with that at all yeah Mm. so what scans did you then get done I had a CT scan and I had something else I can't remember what it was. Oh, no, that was a biopsy. Yeah, so I had a biopsy and then the CT scan. And with those two, that was, yep, you have. Okay. You have cancer. And yep. did they, were they then able to determine what stage your cancer was in? Yes. So um, I was in stage two, mm-hmm. which is nice. It was still a very, like, I was still quite low, but close to stage three. They were okay. saying it was, like, starting to push into the stage three, but... Um, I was still in stage two, so I came in at perfect, well, not perfect timing, but, you know, like, yeah. it was great. It yeah. was, um, I was very lucky, yeah. And what was the treatment process? Did you get offered chemotherapy and other options, mm. or was it just the chemo? How did that all work? Yeah, so I got offered chemotherapy and radiation, and I had quite a few meetings. There was a, a full board meeting that happened about me, which I felt very important, Ooh, yeah. about whether I should get radiation or not, but I just decided we'll start just with chemotherapy and at the end we can do radiation if we still need it um I just wanted to start with it was really nice I just want to say like during all this like everything was up to me Mm -hmm. which was really nice because I'm also aware that some people get put in situations where they're so sick whether where they don't actually have options anymore they just have to do stuff and I I was given a lot of options which was um really amazing And so, yeah, I chose just to start with chemotherapy, which was ABVD. Mm -hmm. Um, So four different drugs that get pumped into me. And I get it, got it, one cycle was a month. And I got two chemotherapies in each cycle treatment. So, yeah, so every two weeks I'll go into hospital I didn't have to stay. Um, mm-hmm. I'd just be, I'd just be in the the day ward, receive my chemo, go home, come back in two weeks. Did you experience side effects of the chemo? Oh yeah, <laughs> tell <laughs> Absolutely. us. Absolutely. So I would be sick for probably a minimum of a week after each one, and so my I had vomiting sometimes constipation sometimes diarrhea I was heavily fatigued I was nauseous I got metal mouth um I my muscles became really heavy hair loss 
I struggled to see things. Everything kind of got blurry. Yeah. Those are the main things wow. <laughs> off the top of my head. Um, yeah, I, 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 uh, I don't react super well to the chemotherapy. Um, better than, than lots of people, but it was it was really, really hard. I, I was lucky I didn't have to stay in hospital, though, so I would mm-hmm. often be home by the time it hit, yeah. which was nice in the comfort of my home. Oh, I'll get, I'll get really the, the cold sweats. That was, like, a really hard one. I remember trying to figure out at home, do I want the aircon? Do I want the yeah. fire? We don't want to go. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and it usually would last about a week, maybe a couple of extra days over there, and then I remember I'd have... I always had three good days. Like that's in my routine that I made over there. Mm-hmm. I had three good days where I was kind of back to normal before my next chemotherapy because the day before going in, I was like a hot mess emotionally. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but like I'd have three days like, cool, what are we going to do? I'm going to see some friends. I'm going to yeah. go out and kind of live my life and then get back into it again. <laughs> Did you ever have to worry about your immune system and being around people maybe getting viruses or colds, anything like that? Yeah. So this was all happening during the beginning of COVID. Right, of course. Yeah. yeah. 2020, the year yeah. we all love. So, yeah, that was really um, interesting. So I was on that on the list um, to get, like, the flu vaccination straight away whenever like all the uh, older generation were getting it it was really funny going into the doctors and there's just like all these old people yeah and it was just me just being like hi I'm sick yeah. <laughs> but yeah so there uh, I wasn't yeah I had to stay at home I wasn't allowed to go to the supermarkets obviously yeah. when during all the lockdown yeah just had to just just had to be cautious and stuff it was uh it was it was a interesting time going to the hospital during that because suddenly like I was able to have support people around me while I was receiving chemotherapy Mm -hmm. and you'd have other people receiving it right beside you and then it just felt like overnight I wasn't allowed anyone in with me yeah there was like four of us receiving chemotherapy in the same area when there usually would be like 10 plus and it was like yeah the nurses were all like obviously the full protective gear and yeah it was weird wow it was really weird I just had a sudden moment this is a bit of a sidebar a bit of a tangent but I was wondering yeah if you got your chemotherapy in the medical day unit because I was in the medical day unit and we might have been in there at the same time when I was getting my treatment in Christchurch during lockdown because uh-huh. I was stuck in the South Island and couldn't get up to Auckland. Yeah, right. Um, but I was thinking, imagine if we had like seen each other yeah, and we didn't even know. <laughs> oh my goodness. It um, was a weird time during yeah, that lockdown it was in there. Weird. It was really weird. It was just, and I had this, um, there was a moment where, because I, I, I was receiving chemotherapy through a port-a-cath, which we can go more into, mm-hmm. but um, there was a day during the lockdown where my port-a-cath just wasn't working oh. and so they were just jabbing me with needles like they weren't actually just like trying yeah. to like stab me but like it was just needle and out and out like I was in pain I was stressed and there was just no one around me that could help and like the nurses couldn't weren't even allowed to hug me and I was just yeah. like I, I, just you just felt so vulnerable and weak because I was just sitting there like bleeding crying and this they're just like staring at me just trying to tell me it's okay but can't actually do anything else it was very it was hard and Mm -hmm. like I can I really feel for those people who are like you know have COVID and stuck in those situations where they're just 
you know, there are people there loving you, but they're not there. Mm-hmm. And they're not really there supporting you because they're unable to be. It's, it's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. Throughout all of this, did you have a good support network? Yeah, that's a really interesting one because it's um, the, the support network I had at the start really changed um, by the end. Okay. I had um, my mum is my absolute hero. She was my rock through the whole thing which was amazing. She was there right from the start till the end. I had my siblings and my dad, and they were um, great, but they weren't around for a lot of it. And I found once I started getting in, like, once mum had seen me in my worst, I don't want anyone else to. I was like, yeah. mum has seen me. She knows how to, I don't want anyone else to, like, see me right after chemo or whatever. So she was really great. But uh, friends, are, friends are a funny thing, you know? They're, they're really interesting, and, and I really struggled with, most of my friendships during this whole time and uh, this was one of the things I talked with my um, psychologist and my nurse and all that about I was like what's the deal with friendships and they and they said it's a very common thing where people just disappear from your life the moment you get sick because they can't handle it maybe I don't really know and there was a lot of people there were a lot of people that did just kind of disappear and fade away and out of my life. And I'd try and reach out to them, but they'd just be gone. And it was really... But then also through that, there were people who never really thought about that really pulled through Yeah, and were really there. And they're the people that I'm super close with now. Yeah, it's super... Like, I remember my boss at the time was texting me heaps. Mm-hmm. I was just like, you know, my manager. And then I had... Um, there were a couple of girls from work. And they, you know, they're, they're a bit older than me. And, like, they were just kind of work colleagues. But they really, like, I find them good friends now. Yeah. But it was all the best friends at that time. Just, like, yeah, kind of faded away. It's super interesting to see. Mm-hmm. And I... I, I'm wondering whether it's because of the word cancer. Yeah. Because it is a scary word, but uh, it doesn't actually uh, get everyone. Yeah. You know, a lot there are a lot of survivors out there. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's one of the words that is um, most related to death in terms of illnesses. Yeah. And but, despite just how many survivors there are out there, and, and we want to live and we want to have great relationships with people but yeah it's it was just I can't explain it yeah it's very interesting uh my nurse said that this is the biggest thing with young people Mm and that not even just young people older people as well friends will just disappear yeah and sometimes family members as well just aren't around but yeah so you know it was I did have a really good support network I had you know I had my mum I had the other family members and I had some friends that were there through it, but uh, what I went into thinking, this is my support mm-hmm. crew here, was not my support crew. It yeah. turned out to be a whole different group of people. Yeah. Yeah. If you could say anything to someone who might be listening and a loved one or a friend or a colleague has just been diagnosed with cancer or might be starting chemotherapy, mm-hmm. if you could say any piece of advice or a little gem of information Mm. to them who might not know what to say to people or who might not be sure they might not be sure like what they can actually do to Mm. help do you have any sort of advice for them yeah like saying something is better than not saying anything at all Mm -hmm. 100% even if it's just a little message here and there a little text I had some I had these group of 
uh, girlfriends who they're my childhood friends grew up with and I didn't hear from them a lot but they all pulled together and just sent me a gift box type thing. Yeah. I didn't hear from them a lot during it, but I knew that they were thinking of me and that mm-hmm. they were there for me. Just something like that. And, That's um, such a good idea, a little gift box. Yeah, just like, and it had like care package. It had like this moisturizing cream because, oh, um, your hands and your skin gets really awful from yeah. the chemo and all that. So it was like a soothing cream. They gave me face masks. They gave me slippers. Mm-hmm. Like just nice stuff like that. And also I think... Often you may not get like a response from someone who's going through this. And so, and if that happens, if you reach out and you don't get a response, it's not because we don't want to hear from you. It's because um, we're probably very fatigued, very nauseous, vomiting our guts up, whatever. But hearing from anyone is just the kindest, best thing. Like there were just some people I haven't talked to in years and just... I felt closer to them during that moment than some of my best friends because they messaged, whereas others just disappeared. Yeah. I just think, yeah, I guess moral of that story, saying something is better than nothing at all, Mm -hmm. just anything. Yeah. Yeah. It's just we we don't need someone to baby us and look after. We have, you know, I've got nurses, I've got doctors, I have my mum. I didn't need someone there for me physically. I just wanted to know that. I'm not alone because you feel so, so alone. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think I've ever felt more alone in my life than in that time because you're just so vulnerable and sick and just be- you feel very hopeless. It puts you in a very tough mental space, everything yeah. that you go through. Yeah. Mm. Were you then getting checkups? How did you know that the chemotherapy was working? This was a great part of the story. Because we decided we needed to do a CT scan. This was about three quarters, nah, two thirds to three quarters of the way through our proposed chemotherapy um, treatment plan. And we were like, yep, let's get a CT scan, see where we're at. Got it. And there was nothing there. I know. We were like, wait, what? And so, yeah, doctor was shocked. We were all shocked. So my body actually responded so well to the chemo yeah. that um, I got cut. I got like two or three months taken off it. Yeah. And I didn't need radi- radiation or anything. <gasps> I, we just had to finish that cycle. Yeah. And then finished it. And then, yeah, I had a my other I had a surgery book to get my portocath taken out. And then I was just in remission. I'm in remission. Wow. Yeah. So that is a really cool part of the story. Yeah. Like that it just, it went so much better than anyone could have anticipated. Yeah. Yeah. So thank you, body, for, um, for responding well <laughs> yeah. to this. Because not everyone's does. So yeah. yeah, that was cool. And what happens now for the future? Mm. So I'm in remission and get checked up for, like, I get regular checkups for the next five years. Okay. Well, that's, so now it's nearly, nearly been a year since um, I've recovered. Oh, well, yes. So another four and a bit years, I will keep getting checkups. So that just looks like a phone call with my oncologist every couple of months. And then um, every now and then that'll actually be uh, going in and seeing him and just having a chat. And it's, yeah, it's just basically a blood test here and there just for a checkup. But yeah, that's, we don't need any scans unless blood tests are off or okay. if I uh, feel like something's not right with me. If a lump comes up, if I get itchy again, all that. But yeah, I'm just 
just live my life pretty much. Yeah. <laughs> I'm wondering why the five years. Is it that five years after is when things might happen? Yeah, you're most likely, if you're going to relapse, it's mm-hmm. most likely going to happen within five years. Okay. Yeah. And so I guess like I'll pretty much always be in the books, mm-hmm. I guess, as you could say. But that's how long the checkups last for. And when I say three months or every couple of months, over the five years it gets longer. It gets dragged okay, out. Okay, yeah. Five months and then seven months and yeah. then yeah and then you'll have we'll have the final chief up and then yeah. Wow. Yeah. I'm so happy for you yeah. that you are in remission. I know, me too. It's really great. <laughs> I'm also wondering how you coped with the hair loss mm. during chemo. It was it was interesting because I didn't I only lost a bit of my hair during it and I lost most of it right on my last chemotherapy session. Okay. And so it was, I thought I was going to keep it the whole time. And then, and because I'd been, I'd heard about cold capping and yep. I'd been told about all that, but I kind of got told about it a little bit too late. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was like, oh, well, I've started now. There's no yep. point. And then had my last chemo and then was like, cool, I'm good. And then just one day I had the shower and like brushed my hair and suddenly it was just yep. really all coming out. I was like, oh no. So I lost Probably, I didn't go lose it all. I reckon I lost maybe about minimum of three quarters, probably a bit more because I had quite thick hair and then it got really, really thin. And um, yeah, I was just, I was very, very self-conscious. I was, um, I didn't deal with it well. It was, it was very um, my thing because now I'm better. I'm not sick, but like, you know, people who like I'll come across who didn't know me be like, oh, why do you always, were you here in a ponytail? Why do you always wear hats? Like. Yeah. You know, like, oh, we're in town. Like, take your hat off. Take your hair out. Like, and just stuff like that. And, like, I want to. I want to feel beautiful. But it really felt, made me feel not. Mm-hmm. And so, I was actually, another shout out to Molly Spink. Yeah. Because her and my other flatmate helped me deal with it. But they got me, like, a beautiful fake but real hair ponytail and yeah. stuff. Like, a clip-in one. So that, because my ponytail was so thin. Uh, and so, like, when we go out to town or, like, we had a ball and all that, I put in this beautiful ponytail and feel really nice. And so yeah. I just kind of, like, deal with it in that way. And then when my hair started growing back through um, the thin amount of hair I had left, then it started getting really weird and messy. So I got, fake braid extensions put in. Okay. Yeah. It was something in the interim that made me feel good. Um, but it was only really recently where I just, like, nah, time to embrace it, like, let's get the chop in. So my short do I have now, this is all my regrowth. This is all yeah. my new hair. And like, yeah, it's, it's, um, I'm just, it, it takes a long time and a lot of courage to be able to embrace what you look like after going through something like chemotherapy. And I wish I was super strong and brave. Like some of the girls who just accept it and go bald and all mm-hmm. that um and I and I wasn't but I I I dealt with it in my own way yeah and like slowly just learning to love myself and how I look again um which takes time does for everyone so yeah yeah it's such a huge event that and a huge diagnosis that yeah. you have gone through and we mentioned at the beginning about having that panic attack after mm. being I guess, triggered by the IV machine line and the needle. You said that you have a psychologist. Mm. Were you seeing a psychologist through all of the cancer diagnosis and treatment? 
and then has that been really helpful after dealing with all of this? Um, So, yeah, I was given a psychologist and I also had, like, um, a counsellor as well. I had lots of different kind of things that I was connected to. I was connected to a canteen and Mm -hmm. um, the psychologist in the hospital and LBCNZ, Leukemia Blood Cancer New Zealand and all that. And um, through that, you kind of find your people who you connect with. And so throughout treatment, I was seeing this woman through canteen for mm-hmm. a really long time and so she wasn't a, she's not a trained psychologist but she was a really great counselor because I could kind of just vent to her mm-hmm. and like I, I didn't really want way like coping mechanisms at that time because I was so sick like I, yeah. I don't have the energy to learn how to cope with this and so she was really great to just kind of stress and vent to and then I did have a psychologist through that but I, I didn't I didn't want to see oh I don't know I just felt like I didn't need to see her straight away it was when things started getting really hard mentally where I reached out to her and started seeing her and I still see her and having that has just been so so amazing so helpful it's it's, it was really it's really nice having because not everyone has access to a psychologist and a counselor because they are both completely different but it's great because a counselor like I can go to her to vent and get this weight off my shoulders whereas the psychologist you leave the psychologist so exhausted Mm because you're working really hard yeah so I had this fine balance between who I needed to see at certain times and now I'm still seeing the psychologist and just working through yeah, more coping mechanisms, like how to deal with the PTSD attacks. Um, and we did all that for a while, and now it's just pretty much getting into the real nitty-gritty stuff of everything I went through and yeah. learning to be okay with that and mm-hmm. accept that that's part of my life and my journey and how to deal with it, you know? Yeah. Yeah, it's been so helpful. If you could go back to mm. Lauren, who's just been diagnosed with Hodgkin's lymphoma, and say something to your 24-year-old self, yeah. now that you've been through all of this and you're in remission, mm. what would you say? I'd say that you're going to be better off on the other side yeah um, you're gonna be a stronger person you know if if maybe like a little bit of wear and tear but it's still a stronger person you're going to know a hundred percent who the people are around you um that you love them and that they love you no matter what yeah and that you know like life is gonna be okay you're gonna get there it's gonna be hard but you're going to be able to do it. You're strong enough and you can do it. And what about if someone's listening who has just been diagnosed mm. with cancer, Hodgkin's lymphoma, or is starting chemo? Mm. Do you have any tips or a little tip or trick? Yeah. Um, yeah it's going to suck. Yeah. Like, <laughs> let's be honest, it's going to really, really suck. But you have got this. And I'd say find little things to keep you going. Little, like for me, I had the couple of days where I was feeling okay. So I would always plan to see someone who I really want to see or to to go out somewhere in nature, really beautiful. Just do something and just have that little thing to look forward to because it can be really hard. And, and those little little moments where you're, you're feeling okay, you want to make the most of it because it really keeps you going. So hang on to those little moments and just love your body, take care of yourself, you know, try and eat healthy and drink heaps of water, and you've got this, you know, your your bodies are a lot stronger than um, we give them credit for a lot of the time, eh? Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. 
Absolutely amazing. Lauren, thank you so much for sharing your story and sharing a bit of you with the podcast today. Thank you. I've said it once and I will say it again at the end of every interview. From the bottom of my heart, thank you so much for listening to another episode of That's So Chronic. Something that I'm really going to take away from Lauren's interview is that saying something is better than not saying anything at all. You can find Lauren on Instagram at Lauren Rose Kayford, and all of the info, as always, is in the show notes. Feel free to reach out. I'm at That's So Chronic on Instagram. Don't forget to press subscribe on Apple Podcasts, follow on Spotify, and leave a review. That really helps me get into more ears around the world to hopefully spread awareness and more importantly, hope.